0: Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. I don't know about you, but I, um, when I think of the word anger, it often has a very negative con- content for me because I've seen anger. I've seen unrighteous anger. I've seen anger that is bitter Twisted. that's full of hatred, that wants to hurt and harm. And uh, that's not the anger we're talking about today. We're talking about a different kind of anger. We're talking about an anger that is almost like this passion that rises up inside of the body of Christ and causes us to look at the devil in the eyes and say, you get off my family. You get off this. You get off the church. You get off. You... Get your stinking, rotten hands off what you've been messing up. That's the kind of anger I'm talking about this morning. It's the kind of anger where we look out at the circumstances that are around us, and we look at what the devil's doing, we look at the impact of sin. We look at the impact of hatred. We look at the impact of unrighteous anger in the world, and we go, that is not God. We want to see change. We want to see something happen. We want to see the little ones saved. We want to see righteousness raised up as a standard in our nation. We want to see holiness come back to the hearts of God's people. We want to see the lost children who are like the one sheep out of 99 that has been lost. We want to see them found and brought back into the fold. We want to see that lost coin found. And Jesus made it very clear that when you're passionate, about the things that are on God's heart, there'll be something that'll stir up inside you and sometimes it comes out as righteous anger. Have you ever seen a mama bear protecting her cubs? You've seen those David Attenborough stories, you know, and he gets his English voice. I don't even know if I can do it, you know. And the mama bear... No, that's American, isn't it? I can't. I literally cannot do it. I was listening to him yesterday, and I got all excited because I thought, I can do this, and I can't. I really can't do his voice. But, uh uh-oh. The mother bear has a righteous anger. (laughs) I love it. All right. So, (laughs) yesterday, actually, I was quite amazed because they for the first time rather than being in Africa they were in North America when they were filming and they now they're using these drones you see and they can follow what's going on down below with these drone cameras and they showed us a picture of a, a bison or a, what they call tatanka you know the tatanka that's right i've watched too much tv now but that, that's their, that's their indian name tatanka the bison the the american buffalo right and they've got A herd of American buffalo running through the American outback, I don't know, (laughs) the woods, Um, they were in an open plain and uh, you could see a couple, three wolves come down off the hill and so they watched it and then David Attenborough's sort of like, and here come the wolves and they're going to search out the little one that is not able to keep up with the herd and this little one, of course, has been now singled out and its destiny is going to be played out before your very eyes, you know? And I'm like, oh, no, and Sheik's got the pillow in front. I can't watch, I can't watch, I can't watch, you know? And the thing is, you know, and you, and you see, and, and, and sure enough, they, they choose one little guy, and he's not fa- as fast as the others, see, but he's got his mum there. And the interesting thing is that if those wolves were just chasing a herd of buffalo that didn't have a bunch of little ones, the herd would just be, they're gone, They'd be running off and, like any one of us, the enemy's after us, let's just run. Let's just get out of here. But let me tell you what happens when you touch a mama's child. She ain't running away. She's you know, it's like this anger. You're not touching my kitty, you know? And you watch this mama buffalo and every time, and and initially it was the two wolves that, you know, and they'd come in, they'd try and bite this little one to try and bring him down and mama would stick her head, big fat bison head, you know, and knock, knock the wolf out of the way, and, then, and and you can see this little one running like this and running in between mama's legs like this, and mama' be in and watching everything, and she'd be like moving around, trying to get at this, making sure. And then the third one come in, and literally, this is when we thought it was all over, because David Attenborough, he's like, "And now comes the third wolf." <laughs> and of course, this will seal the fate of the little buffalo. You know, and we're like, no, not this little buffalo. But the thing was, and then, and then, then, there's the little word of hope. But if she were able to just reach the edge of those woods, perhaps this, her fate would not be sealed. And Sheikh's like, really? You know, pulling her head just like just a little bit away from the pillow. It's like, is there any hope here? You know. And then next thing you know, <clears throat> sure enough. They make it to the woods. Yay, everybody's like, yay. The fans and air conditioners go wild, and everybody's like, wow. But you see, here's the thing, right? You watch a show like that, and you see a mama get so passionate about her little one, and you go, oh, my goodness. you got the fiercest dogs on the planet, these big wolves. They're massive, you know, they're like this big, and, there are, and there's three of them. But Mama, Mama Buffalo, she ain't gonna let it happen. And I reckon sometimes when we see what God puts inside of each one of us, <clears throat> when we start to see the passion for God's kingdom, and we we see the passion, we start to see the world through Papa's eyes, through the Father. Eyes of the Father to the fatherless, as we sang earlier today. We see the world through his eyes. We see the lost. You know, Jesus told that story, and we tell though in Sunday school, you know, of the the, um, shepherd who left the 99 to go after the one. You know, And that same shepherd has probably been just like David, young David in, as a shepherd boy who had to tackle a lion who came after his sheep and literally killed the lion with his bare hands. And he had to attack a bear who came after his sheep and literally had to kill the bear with his own two hands. And later on, we see David going after Goliath. And we see all the, all the people of Israel, all the soldiers all kitted out with their gear who could fight a fight and they're intimidated by this giant. But because David has the passion of God in his heart and he sees with a father's eyes, he's like a mama who won't let go of the little kid and says, You can't have. You can't have the children of God. You can't use the name of the Lord with vain like that. And here's a a young guy who's full of passion, who just goes out there and says, you know, you stand against the armies of the Lord, but I, with your spears and your shield and, 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 and your sword, but I come against you in the, he didn't say, I come against you with sticks and stones and I'm gonna beat you up. No, he said, he said, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. You see, he's got a stirring in his heart. He's got a righteous anger because he sees that the devil is trying to intimidate the people. And he's got them. he's got them. The devil's got him intimidated. And let's face it, they all know what it's like They've all been through combat training, right? These soldiers, they've all been through combat training. They know what it's like to go up against someone who's bigger than you. you know, now, I'm six foot three, and although I'm a bit older now, I still intimidate people on the bus. So <laughs> I don't mean to, you know. But if, you know, you, you get a guy coming onto, as a bus driver, you get a guy coming onto the bus, and he's got, he's got the tats, he's got the big, earrings and everything, and and he's looking mean, and he's like, and there's no way he's paying for his ticket, because someone stole his wallet, of course. <laughs> it's, it's They all have the same story. There's no new story, you know. Someone stole my wallet. Really? What are you going to do about that? What do you mean? <laughs> I said, well, how are you going to pay for a ride then, you know, and you just... Staring back down again. Normally, I just let them on, but when they, when they come on, all like, I'm gonna intimidate you, I'm getting on and you can't stop me. And usually, they walk past you and they got their fake card and they go up to the second one, bom, bom, bom. just keep walking, excuse me. <laughs> <clears throat> come back here, boy. <laughs> and I have a little chat with them. And because I'm a big lad, I can be intimidating. And I just say, How about you pay or get off? Yeah. And then they're swearing at me as they step off the bus. No problem. <laughs> right? But here's the thing, right? You've got a giant who's massive and he's full intimidated because they all know. But they, they, they're forgetting something. See, because in that moment of intimidation, they're just in the flesh. They're just looking from a flesh perspective. They're thinking, he's that big. What are the rest of them going to be like? They're all big. They're going to gonna trounce us. They're going to do us over. They're not, we can't do this. You know how often the people of God get intimidated by the enemy? We just get in the flesh. We look at circumstances, we look at what's going on around us, we get all like, ah, I can't do this. It's too hard. Nah, no, might as well just run, run and hide. But imagine if your, your youngster is being attacked and intimidated by the devil, like, don't you dare touch my little one, you know? And you get all like, that's not going to happen and so it's almost like this other courage comes into the person when somebody whom they love is being intimidated and and so there's this thing that happens but it's not always a good thing sometimes we can even get all intimidated and feisty and all and we're actually not in the spirit at all we're actually just in the flesh and we can do it in the flesh in such a way that we can actually really have it wrong I'm going to go through a few scriptures today. I'm just going to, I'm just going to unpack. The, the big question for me this morning is, is there a place for righteous anger in the body of Christ today? It's a good question, I think, because we see glimpses of it in scripture, in Jesus' life, in, in the body of Christ, but what place does it have, and, and where is it important? I want to read to you... Um, probably the most famous scripture of um, what many would call righteous anger in the Bible. So it's Matthew 21, verses 12 to 13. And it just says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. It's probably one of the most famous examples of what people would say, this is Jesus with a little bit of anger going on, like he's like looking at the place. And let's face it, he's going into the temple, which he's been in many times before. It's not like he's brand new to the temple. He's 30 something years of age and he's been going to church synagogue his whole life And it's not like he's a stranger to Jerusalem either. I mean, okay, so he was brought up in Bethany, but he spent a fair bit of time around, and every year they would have gone to Jerusalem. So he would have seen this over and over and over again. But on this particular occasion, zeal, this is John. John When John, because John was like Jesus' closest friend, when he records it, he kind of records it slightly different to all the rest. He goes, and he quotes... um, Psalm six, oh, is it yeah, 69, yeah, 69.9. He, he quotes Psalm 69.9 where he says, zeal for your father's house has eaten me up. Because he, he says, after all this happened, he says the disciples remembered the scripture, zeal for my father's house has eaten me up. So they're seeing, ooh, you know, because Jesus is going, hey, this is my father's house. It's meant to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a house of thieves. And he's like, and he's not just standing in the doorway going, guys, get out of here. He's like literally tipping tables. He's, he's got a, some people call it the temple tantrum. <laughs> the ten, temple tantrum. <laughs> Jesus had a tantrum and he, everything went. But I, I want us to have a look at this from a fresh perspective this morning, right? What was he actually doing? Was there more to it than just having a hissy fit one day? One thing I noticed about Jesus is every time he does something, there's a deeper meaning to what he does. There's always something, like there's what he does in the natural, but it it infers always to something much deeper, right? Now, for us to understand, what might have been happening there, we need to look at some other scriptures, okay? So um, let's, let's go through and have a look at some other scriptures. Um, first of all, let's recognize, and so we're talking about righteous anger, and I've alluded to the fact that there is unrighteous anger, okay? So I want to help you understand that what Jesus did was not unrighteous anger, okay? Okay? Now, the scripture is fairly clear what unrighteous anger is. Uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. All right? Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. In other words, anger that is caught up in you, that you can't let go of, is unrighteous anger. So the moment you get angry... You might be angry at a situation or a circumstance something's happened and you just like this is this is not right it's what you do with that that turns it from the potential to be a right approach or a right response to something that's horrible to an unright response if you like And it says here, do not let the sun go down. In other words, do not let this anger reside in your heart because if you do, you let the devil have a place in your heart. We have to be really careful of that, don't we? The good news is that if anger does get caught up in our heart and it stays there, you know what happens? The devil gets a place. You know what he can do? This is the bad thing. If the devil has a place in your heart, he can twist and turn. It's like a knife and it just gets us. And it's like, if anger's sitting there and it hasn't been resolved, it can actually destroy us. It's hard, but Jesus makes it clear. And we're gonna see a little bit later on what it looks like, but James chapter four gives us a little bit of hope. So anybody who's ever felt like, man, yeah, I've, 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 had, I've allowed anger to sit there, unrighteous anger to sit in my heart. I've got myself caught up. I've got myself in a place where it's actually been destructive. There's, there's good news, there's hope. Um, James 4, 7 to 9, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. woo yay. It says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Woohoo, yay. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. But if I keep reading... You might not like it. So I will, because <laughs> this is just truth, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> See, because it's talking, yeah, right? It's talking about anyone who needs to submit to God and resist the devil, right? right? That's the context. Okay, so why would we need to do that? Because the devils he's coming after us. He's really going at it, right? He's going at us. And what's he using? He's using our anger. He's using our emotions. He's using our thought life. He's using our willingness to submit to his ways. In other words, to get into the flesh and just do things the way we wanna do them and let everything flow down that pathway of destruction. And so James says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee. That's the good news. If you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. But he goes on and says, cleanse your hands. In other words, stop doing bad things. Cleanse your hands, oh you sinners, and purify your hearts, you are double-minded. All right? That sounds harsh, but it's just... See, the reason why we get ourselves into trouble is because we're doing wrong things and we're thinking wrong things and we're allowing that to settle in our heart and becomes patterns of behavior that give the devil a foothold and then suddenly we're in a situation where the devil's got us right this is like the wolves going after the little one on the outside the little one is the innocent one the one who doesn't know what he's doing and you can be in the Lord for many years but you can turn innocent just like that because in your mind you've just switched from spirit to flesh And suddenly, everything that you do is just fleshly, and you can get caught up in anger, you can get caught up in strife, you can get caught up in wrong thinking, you can get so angry with your pastor or with what's happening in the church or what's going on around you that you forget that by entertaining all of these things, you put yourself in a position of danger. It's like, I've wandered from the herd, (laughs) You wander from the herd that the wolves are gonna come after you, the lions are gonna come after you, you know? What is the devil? A roaring lion. Roar. <laughs> to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's his that's his dossier. <laughs> what does he do? Steal, kill, destroy. He's like the wolf that's after the little guy. He's like the lion, that's after the, the little zebra on the end of the herd, you know, the easy kill. And we don't want to put ourselves in a position of easy kill. So James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, lament and mourn and weep. That's a bit different to the, oh, happy Jesus, let's all be happy and be gay and just like, everything's, everything is awesome, you know. And we can be like that. And there are churches that are like that and they preach like that. Everything is awesome, yay, you know. And the thing is, like, we do that, And we set ourselves up for destruction because we miss the truth of the scripture. It says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And this is why. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So what he's saying there is not, because He's another scripture says be joyful always, right? But that's a different kind of joy. That's a joy in the Lord. See, this is joy in the flesh. This is, I don't give a rip. I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to live it out loud, you know. Instead of LOL laughing out, it's living out loud. You know, I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. And the problem is that when we do that, we're wandering from the herd. We're putting ourselves in a position where the enemy can just run us down, right? So he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, when you lift yourself up, and the often, I mean, last night, Shek and I, I picked her up from work, and we were driving, had to pick up some money at the bank down at the ATM in Warners Bay, and as I went down, there's a bunch of ladies rolling out of this back of the pub, and they're all like festive Christmas regalia, and a little bit of drinking going on, I and mean, yeah, you know, they're out there for their ciggy, and, they're, you know, and they got, the, got a pint in their hand still, and And then they got to take the photos. And I'm just at a distance watching it and listening as I'm walking across to get the money. And I'm thinking, that's Christmas. That's Jesus' birth for some people. That's it. That's, that's That's what it's about. And that's the joy and the laughter that needs to turn to mourning. That's the kind. Not the joy and the laughter that we're called to live out as People who are filled with the Spirit of God. Somebody's alarm's going off. I don't know. The NMAs out there. Oh, it's all good. I won't tell everybody that they locked their keys in the cars. That'll be embarrassing. <laughs> oh, we know all about it. We won't say anything, right? We won't say anything. We know how it happened. It's all good. It's all good. So there's unrighteous anger and it's it's unrighteous living it's 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 the same it's it's this life of the flesh right and when we live a life of the flesh we get caught let's all go out and have a look all right so what about this Righteous anger, then. So, I high everybody's going. I highlight. I'm just going to focus to those who are in the middle here. <laughs> I highlight the fact that there is an unrighteous anger that leads to destruction, because this is where righteous anger comes into play. Because when you start to see that you realize something. It's not not that we fight a battle of the flesh. We fight a battle of the spirit, you see. And it's the devil who's behind it. And so we might see someone who's in the flesh, and we're tempted to get upset with them. Oh, how righteous we can be. (laughs) Because we don't get it. And the moment we step into our own righteousness by looking at the bad behavior of others, we step into our own sin. It's true. Because Jesus, okay, righteous anger. Yes, he looked at what was going on in the temple and he got angry. And we were tempted to see that he got into the flesh by getting angry and turning all those tables over and getting all excited. And we think, some people say, oh yeah, but then John tries to spiritualize it. Oh, zeal for my house consumed me. Yes, of course, that's why I got so angry and turned all those tables over. But there was more to it than that. All right, let's have a look at... um, Let's have a look at Matthew 16. Here's another story in the Bible that might give us a clue. We're building on our story here, right? Matthew 16, 21. So from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. So then Peter Took him aside. Jesus, need to have a word? Like, seriously, that last talk back there? Mm-mm. Not gonna happen. Like, no way. You're out of line, Jesus. There's no way that, I mean, seriously, like, you're the Savior. Hello? Like, you're the guy who's gonna lead us out of captivity. Rome and all the rest of it there. Look at what they're doing. You can't there's no, it's not gonna happen. Kind of a little bit more correct version is Peter took him aside <laughs> and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from me, Lord, that this should happen to you. You'd think, well, that's kind of reasonable. That's, that's 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 reasonable. Like Jesus has just said, Hey guys, um, I'm going to go through a rough patch that's going to lead to my death. And uh, it's all part of God's big plan. And Pete pulls him aside and said, no, not going to happen. But you, saw, you can see where he's coming from, right? He's, he's got a good heart, this fella. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Crikey, <laughs> really? <laughs> then he says, you are an offense to me. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. See, what happened was Peter got in the flesh and he just answers straight out of the flesh. But see, it's not the first time for Peter. I mean, he's got a history of being good at being in the flesh. Like he's got a history of listening to the voice of the devil. Like he just knows, the devil just knows how to twist him. All right, So he thinks he's pulling Jesus aside, and he's, he's he totally justified in his own mind. I'm going to sort you out, Jesus. You got it wrong this time, and I'm just going to sort you out. And in that moment, the devil's in his ear trying to get into Jesus' ear to shift what's happening in the spirit realm. That's exactly what's happening. And Jesus sees straight through all Peter's, I'm going to be the man for the hour and sort this out sees straight through that and sees the enemy at work and says, get behind me, Satan. So what's he doing? He's addressing Peter, but he's really addressing Satan. He's addressing the spiritual issue while he's addressing Peter. And because Peter is a disciple and Peter needs to learn, he's not afraid to tell it like it is. He's just straight. I'm just gonna tell you straight, Pete. Right now, that's Satan talking, not you. That's not me. That's not my father. That's not the truth. That's Satan talking right now. And he's just straight up with Pete because he knows what Pete's about to step into. In fact, he knows the whole story, right? Because he knows that, Peter, that Satan has been in front of God the Father and lifted Peter's name I've said, look at this guy. I'm gonna, I would like permission to sift him like wheat. You think you've got a plan for him? there's no way this guy is going to be that apostle. There's no way he's going to write that much Bible. It ain't going to happen. Because you watch when I sift him, you watch what happens. And God says, okay. And later on, Jesus goes to Peter and says, this is Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon. Now, isn't it interesting that he's using his name, his prior name, his flesh name. Simon. This is like, you know, you are now Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So that's his spirit name, right? He's got his spirit name, Peter. So when he's in the spirit, he's Peter the rock. When he's in the flesh, he's Simon. I hope nobody here is named Simon, you know, but it's, <clears throat> I, I don't think that's what that means. It just means that here he says, calls him by his, his earthly flesh name, his birth name. He's just stepped into the flesh. He's Satan, And Satan's got him. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your face should not fail. And when you have returned to me, when you have returned to me. In other words, I've prayed that your faith won't fail long term, but it's going to fail for a little bit. It's going to fail just a little bit right here, Pete, and I'm just giving you a heads up, buddy. Like, remember that moment where you said no and I said Satan? Remember that? Well, Satan kind of, he's, he's in your ear, buddy. <laughs> Like, and this is what's going to happen. And But Peter, being Peter, he says, Lord, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm ready to go with you, Lord. Like, seriously, God, I'm just, you know me. I'm not going to, I'm with you all the way, Jesus. You know, this is Peter. Both to prison and to death, he says. And Jesus looking at him going, No. Nah. But we'll sort that out later. He says, no, Peter, I tell you, the rooster shall crow this day before you have denied me three times that you even know me. So why do I raise that? Why, do I, why am I going back to Peter and the way Jesus addressed Peter? Why am I going back to that? Because it shows us something. Jesus is addressing Peter, but he's addressing Satan, because Satan is behind what Peter is doing. He's telling Peter that you're going to deny me, but he's saying Satan is behind that denial, and I am praying for you that you will rise up again in faith and step into your place. Now, that has a whole lot of ramifications for all of us, because when we look at life, we realize, yeah, there are times when we fail, There are times when we fall down. There are times when we mess up. There are times when we've been listening to the devil. There's times when we've rebuked someone whom God has ordained to do something, and we've been completely out of order, even though we think we're righteous in doing it. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. But even in that, God says, "I I can restore you. I can restore you. You're just out of line right now because you're listening to the wrong voice. Now, now we're going to come back to righteous anger. So, first story. Jesus goes into the temple. What's he doing? He's cleansing the temple. What's, What's that all about? He's angry at what's happened in the temple. What is the temple? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God? Don't you know that you are the house of God? my house shall be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. What's he, what's he prophesying on this day? He's prophesying, isn't he? He's prophesying that you, your, even your physical body, what you do on this earth, is about to become the temple of the living god that has a mandate on it to be a house of prayer however if you do what these guys have done and get complacent and just roll with it and live in the flesh going oh, i can make a bit of a, i can make a profit out of this i can make a profit out of being a prophet you know <laughs> I, I can go for a bigger offering if I say this. And I can buy that house that I've always wanted if I tell everybody about it beforehand and ask for a bigger offering. Oh no, that would never happen in the church, would it? See, flesh rises up. And what happens when we stay in the flesh? The devil gets a foothold. What happens when the devil gets a foothold? He's in our ear. And then we're in the pastor's ear. We're in the elder's ear. We're in the, the worship leader's ear. We're in the Sunday school leader's ear. We're in the local council leader's ear. And we're saying all the things that come out of the flesh because we think that's right. And in fact, actual fact, we're actually functioning as if we were Satan himself. Because we've got a demon on the inside that is speaking through us. And you know what happens when you've got demons? You've got to get them delivered. <laughs> you need deliverance when you've got demons. And that's why we've got to get on our faces and humble ourselves before the Lord so he can lift us up. Submit yourself to the Lord. Resist the devil. And he will flee. How do you submit to the Lord? Through humbling yourself, turn your laughter, which is fleshly laughter, into mourning until the laughter that comes out is a righteous, joyous, Holy Ghost laughter. That is joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kind of joy that no matter what circumstance you're in, you're happy. If you're always unhappy... It doesn't mean that the devil's not bashing you up. It just means that you don't have the joy of the Lord in the midst of being bashed up. It's true, isn't it? If you don't have the joy of the Lord, it means you're in the flesh. So while you're being bashed up, you've submitted yourself to the flesh, to the woe is me mentality. And while we're in that place of woe is me, the devil can beat us up more. Why can't we break through that? Because a lot of the time, we, we don't have the right example except in Scripture because a large portion of the church don't even know how to walk in righteous anger and be like a mama bear who says, no, you don't. You get your hands off my church. You know, when we step into that place and the zeal for my father's house consumes us, you know what we do? We go down on knees. You know what? I hear it all the time. You know, I've been since 2008 pursuing revival. And I can honestly say, in the last 12 months, I gave up because of my experience being a pastor again was so hard in this church. It's got me to the point where I almost gave up altogether. Right, But in the last couple of weeks, for some reason, the Lord's been putting that in front of me again. I'm going, God, I don't even believe that anymore. I literally said to God, I don't even believe in revival anymore, God. I've been pursuing this for so long and it just doesn't happen. And it, even this morning, popped up again. And I'm like, and Sheik pointed it out and she goes, look at that. Now, for those who don't know my story, I'm not going to tell you that part right now. We can do that another day. But I just want you to know that God's put it back on my agenda, which is exciting. But what I've had to do in my own self is recognize that I've just been a part of the problem because I spent so much time just functioning in the flesh. The woe is me mentality, where the joy of the Lord wasn't my strength. Because when you start looking at circumstances, you'd just be like Peter. Nah, it's not gonna happen, Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) He's not addressing you. He's addressing what's causing you to say that. And when we start to see the wolves chasing the pack, we start, we gotta get angry, not at the little guy who's getting caught up, We don't get angry at the little guy who's getting eaten by a wolf. We get angry at the wolves who are chasing the little guy, right? So when I see people, even those who rebuke me constantly for being a pastor and trying to do the right thing, even though half the time I actually am doing the wrong thing, um, I recognize that even in that, it's not them or me. Just because I've messed up just because they got into righteousness and tried to tell me that I messed up, neither of us, we're both in the wrong, but neither of us are the cause of it. Ephesians 6, my fight, my battle, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. So when Jesus is tossing tables in the temple, what's he doing? He, one, he is, he is demonstrating something that he's not happy with in the natural. And let's face it, there are times when we need to be able to demonstrate by the voice of God what is wrong with what we see in the natural. But he's also addressing something in the spirit realm and it's a prophetic act. He's saying we've got to address the spirit and we learn how to address the spirit with righteous anger. We'll actually deal with all the stuff that's going on and we'll start to have peace. When I say peace, I don't necessarily mean peace with everybody because Jesus didn't have peace with the, with the scribes and the Pharisees. They actually wanted him dead, even though he did all the right things. So there's going to be war, and Jesus says, you're going to cop that. But what we need is peace together <laughs> as the body of Christ. Amen? All right, now I'm going to tell you a story to finish up this morning. Um, I love this story because it's homegrown, Australian. I love an Australian story. Um, I love a story that's got the Holy Ghost front and center and I love a story with a good ending. So this has got all those, yeah? So who's ever heard of a guy named John Alexander Dowie? Anyone heard of John Alexander Dowie? He was a pastor in Sydney, Australia, obviously. Well, not obviously, could have been Sydney, somewhere else. There's a few of them around. 1875, so it's an old story. Who likes an old story? It's a relevant story. So if you remember back in those days, they had the bubonic plague swept through and people were dying left, right and center. Well, um, in 1875, John Alexander Dowie, as a pastor of a local church in Sydney, buried 40 of his members through the bubonic plague. Can you imagine that? I think if we buried 40 people in this church, we would hardly have anybody left. (laughs) True story. True story. All right? So he's buried 40 already, and this is where I pick up the story. That was in less than one month, he buried 40 people in less than a month. That's how bad it was. Then it says, and four more people from his congregation died and were yet to be buried. And many others became sick from this awful plague in which there was no cure. After visiting the many sick members of his flock one day, Dr. Dowie returned home and sat in his study, his arms folded upon his desk and his head upon his arms, weeping before God. Now, of course, they call him Dr. Dowie now, but he was just Pastor Dowie back then, right? So this is in hindsight, calling him Dr. Dowie. He wasn't a doctor, he was a pastor. God, is everybody going to die? He cried. Are you going to take everybody? Where did this plague come from? Are you the author of this? Right now, understand that you go through seasons where your, your doctrine gets tested because of the circumstances that are in front of you. Are you the author of this? He was heartstruck at the thought of the families that would be torn apart by the plague, at the children who would let, be left Orphans. John Alexander Doway later wrote that the words found in Acts ten thirty-eight stood out to him before, stood stood out before him as a light, showing Satan as the defiler and Christ as the healer. That's Acts ten thirty-eight. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Isn't that a great scripture? Amen. My tears were wiped away, Dr. Dowie said. My heart was strong. I saw the way of healing and the door there too was opened wide. So I said, God, help me now to preach the word to all the dying around and tell them how tis Satan who defiles and Jesus who delivers. For he is just the same today. All right, so suddenly this word of scripture came, comes alive in his heart. It's like the spirit of God just went, whoosh, breathed on one scripture that just came alive in his heart. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were afflicted by the devil, but he was anointed to do it. He did not have to wait long. Within minutes of him saying that prayer, Two young men burst into his study, pleading breathlessly. Oh, come at once, Mary is dying. Dr. Dowie ran down the street after them, not even pausing to take his hat. That would be terrible back in those days, 1875. You didn't even take your hat. All right, so he's in a hurry. He was furious. All right, here's the righteous anger. He was furious that Satan should have attacked this innocent young member of his flock, a young lady. Dr. Dowie entered Mary's room and found her in convulsions. Her medical doctor, having given up on her, was preparing to leave. He turned to Dr. Dowie and remarked, Sir, are not God's ways mysterious? Get behind me, Satan. Can you hear that? Can you hear Satan in his ear trying to get into the situation, diffuse any spirit that's rising up in Dr. Dowie? Are not God's ways mysterious? The revelation that Dr. Dowie had just received from the word of God was burning in his heart. God's way, he thundered. He's angry, see. How dare you call call that God's way? No, sir, that is the devil's work. He challenged the physician who was a member of his own congregation. Can Can you pray the prayer of faith that saves the sick? The doctor replied, you are much too excited, sir. Tis best to say, God's will be done. And he left the room. See, that was the theology that this doctor had. Excited, the word was quite inadequate for what I was almost frenzied with divinely imparted anger and hatred at the foul destroyer disease which was ne- doing Satan's will righteous anger see it's like a mama bear she says no way see we've got to get the the mind of God to see it for what it is how often do our prayers get tainted by the devil's words well let the Lord's will be done that's the devil's words unless it's in the right place see when Jesus was when Jesus declared that It was all about him going to the cross to bring us it wasn't about him being sick and dying of cancer that's not the lord's will see the lord's will was that jesus would die on that cross because that was the way to salvation for all mankind that was the lord's will that was when suffering became the doorway that opened up salvation to all mankind. But if Jesus had been dying, or if Jesus came across a young person or a child, every person who Jesus came across who needed healing, he healed in Jesus' name. Well, he didn't in his own name. (laughs) Just healed him, right? Just to be right. Furious at Satan's work. Well, hang on. Let me just uh, back up. There's a little bit more. It is not so, I exclaimed, no will of God sends such cruelty and I shall never say God's will be done to Satan's work which God's own son came to destroy and this is one of them. Oh, how the word of God was burning in my heart. Furious at Satan's work, Dr. Dowie then prayed a prayer of faith for Mary and the girl's convulsions immediately ceased immediately ceased. And she fell into such a deep, deep sleep, so much so that her mother actually worried that she had actually died. She isn't dead, the triumphant Dr. Dowie assured them. After several minutes, Dr. Dowie awakened Mary, and she turned to her mother and exclaimed, Mother, I feel so well. I feel so well. See, there's There's a righteous anger that needs to stir up inside the body of Christ in this hour where we see what the devil's work is and we look around us. We can see it. If we got our eyes open, Jesus said constantly, let the ears of those who hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The only ones who are gonna see it are the ones whose spirits are awakened to what the Spirit is saying. And as you see it, as you walk into the temple day after day after day after day, and you're seeing the same thing, same thing over and over again, but when the Spirit of God gets hold of you, suddenly your eyes are open, you go, this is not right. This is not right. But we don't then attack flesh. This is where a lot of people get into trouble these days. We go after the flesh so quickly and we get ourselves into trouble. No, we've got to get on our knees. When the Lord opens up our eyes to what the devil's doing, don't get on Facebook. I'm sorry to anybody who does that. And, and declare to the whole world that they're sinners now and they're going to go to hell. No, let's get on our knees. I'm just being stirred because I, I've seen it too often. I don't, I'm not rebuking anyone. I'm just saying this is, this is what I've had to deal with because I, I used to do that. And I recognize that the Lord pulled me up. He said, your anger is wrongly directed. It's right, but it's wrongly directed. And we got to get on our knees and fight the spiritual battle because that's where we pull down strongholds, right? Jesus wasn't angry at the people. Like, he didn't intend to hurt anyone. When I say that, I don't believe for a minute that he was unintentional about everything that he was doing. He was demonstrating something, and he had the Spirit of God on him to do it but it was a bigger picture demonstration, a prophetic act. Furious, we've already read that. After several minutes, we've already read that. Dr. Dowie quietly thanked God and then went into the next room where Mary's brother and sister lay with the same plague. And after prayer, they too were also completely healed. And from that day on, John Alexander Dowie ministered to his flock in divine healing and continued to pray for their healing. And because of his belief in divine healing, he never lost another one of his church members to the plague. There's a, an example now, if you, if you follow his story, that was the beginning of one of the most incredible ministries in that era from that moment where his heart was seared by the word of God and truth came alive do you know that prior to that date he had just lost 40 members of his congregation to death and he buried them, he was about to bury four more who were dead all in the space of a month can you imagine that the heart of a pastor remember when our friend died last year Man, (laughs) I was out there calling for her to come back to life on the grass. She died in here, in this room. And I can tell you now that although I believe that people can be raised from the dead... You've got to have the word of faith that rises up in your sight. You've got to have the anger of God so strong that you're not just doing it in hope, you're doing it in assurance that God is going to work. And it's only going to come from one place. It's going to come from the place where you're connected to the heart of the Father via the Spirit of God and he rises up in you with such ferocity that you see it for what it is. You see the devil at work and you go, no way you get your hands off. I'm telling you now, there's some people in this room right now that if you get a revelation of this message this morning, I had a message prepared by Thursday. And I'm driving the bus, and God says, No, this is what I want you to preach this week. And i said, like, say, Seriously? Righteous anger this week? And the funny thing is, see, my parents are here. They're not here this morning, they're coming tonight but they're here and they're a little bit more conservative. And I had in my mind, they're going to be sitting in front of me and I'm going to be preaching a sermon and God guy says, no, you just do what I tell you to do. Okay, I'll do that, God. And within one day, driving the bus, it just, download after download, the Lord just, and then I saw this story about John Alexander Downing. I thought, yeah, there you go. That's it. And And I can tell you now, I believe that that's why God's put revival back on the agenda this last week. Because he says, now you know. See, because I stepped away from being so full of the Spirit to just stepping into just being normal Paul, trying to resolve stuff. And when you get into normal Paul trying to resolve stuff, you end up hearing the voice of Jesus coming back. When you say some stupid things and he goes, Paul, that was stupid. That's that's like the devil talking right there. You're not talking with faith, you're talking with unbelief right now, son. But you know, Jesus says, I'll restore you, Peter. I'll restore you, because I've prayed for you. That when... You come back from your little temper tantrum. It's not righteous anger. Step in the flesh, deny me. Deny my strength, deny my power, deny that I can do what I'm doing. Deny that it's my will to heal the sick. Deny that it's my will to raise the dead. Deny that it's my will to rise up a church triumphant in this hour who's going to be the righteousness of the living God, the bride of Christ. Once you've got over all of that, once you've got over the fact that you've done with revival and you don't believe it anymore, that you're done with church because everybody keeps stabbing you in the back, once you got through all that, once you've got over your little temper tantrum, (laughs) then I'll restore you and I'll restore my word to your heart and you can get back on with visioning what I've called you to vision righteous anger. That's what's going to take to get this revival going. Not at the people of this world, not at the homosexuals that are parading around down Sydney way. No point. What's the point of standing up on a street caller with a placard saying you're all going to hell? That's just not God's heart that's wrong. That's not the heart of God. God doesn't want them to go to hell. God wants them saved. So what do we do? We got to get into the spirit. What does the spirit do? See, there is a righteous anger, but it's going to be directed differently. It's probably more than likely going to be directed back at the church, rather than at the people who are the lost ones. We don't go tell the sheep that's caught up in a thicket some way off while 99 are sitting at home, say, you stupid idiot, look what you've done. Like seriously, imagine Jesus with the the lost sheep story, eh? or the lost son story. The son's dragging himself up the dust. I'm just gonna fall at my father's feet and dad's standing at the gate going... "Ah." You stupid kid. Now get back in your room right now. We'll sort you out tomorrow. In the morning, you're back on the job. <laughs> sort him out. That's not righteous anger, that's flesh. But Jesus tells a story from the father's perspective. Let me tell you, church, when we get into the flesh, we'll sound just like the flesh. We'll accuse like the flesh. And we can put it up there, we can get we can get we can get eight million dollars out of the government or out of the ARU for doing it. But it still be sounding like flesh. Quote me. Quote me. So you got the half the half the Christian population in Australia are all excited about someone who stood up and said something but the problem is it didn't reflect the heart of God it might be true but it didn't reflect the heart of God and I don't care what anybody says in any sphere get all excited about something like that and you're missing something we should be so grieved at the way this world is going that we get on our knees that our prayer halls are filled not our Facebook pages with the Word of God. Let me tell you, if we get our prayer halls filled with the Word of God and we declare the righteousness of God to the heavens and we pull down strongholds, we get angry at the devil with righteous anger rather than angry at the lost sinners of this world with our unrighteous, unholy anger. That doesn't really reflect the heart of God. It reflects a bygone era, an old covenant theology which is out of order. Because we're in a new order and we're in a new realm we're in the realm of the spirit of life and love and we're not under the law anymore the law is real and it points us back to God but we pass through to God through Jesus Christ and his love and his grace and his mercy does that mean we don't cleanse our hands of course it doesn't we have to we are the church. We are the children of the living God. We are the ones who have to be on our knees, getting ourselves sorted out, getting the laughter and the joy of this world out of our system through humbling ourselves on our knees before our God. And then we can pull down strongholds. Then we can pray for the sick and they will be healed. Then we can raise the dead because we try and raise the dead from the flesh. We're done. And I'll finish with this, and it's funny because a lot of people have bagged Benny Hinn, right? because he's done some weird stuff and he's repented of some of it. Uh, Thank the Lord for that because he got in the flesh for a little while there as a pastor and as a leader and as an evangelist. But he told a truth just this recently where he was reminiscing about a time when he was standing on the stage with Catherine Kuhlman, right? And Catherine Kuhlman back in the day had an amazing, she was just an incredible woman anointed of God and she would just speak to someone, Jesus. And there's the name Jesus would have that person falling on the ground and the demon that was in them just go <laughs> gone. And then that person would rise up free. And 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 Benny said to her one day, How come you can just say Jesus? And they're healed. And so many of us are just raving and yelling and carrying on and nothing happens. He says, and she said, because you've got to be in the spirit when you say the name Jesus, then it has power. But if you're in the flesh, you can say Jesus till the cows come home, and nothing is going to happen. If you're in the flesh, you can say all the right words, and nothing's going to happen because it's not a flesh encounter; it's a spirit encounter. And how do you get in the flesh, or how do you get out of the flesh and into the spirit? Submit to the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee. Read the next two verses again and again and again and again and again. Humble yourself before the living God. And just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being in the flesh. I'm sorry that I've tried to do this my own way. I'm sorry that I rebuked you, Lord, when you told me something and I said, nah, it's not going to happen. Man, I'm telling you now, folks, we can can do this till the cows come home. We're going to be just as frustrated in 10 years' time as we are today if we don't get in the Spirit. Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au